Many parents worry about how exposure to technology might affect toddlers developmentally. I win. But adolescence is an equally important period of rapid development, and too few of us are paying attention to how teenagers are using technology and how it's affecting them. To teens, Facebook is dust. And the apps you like? Yeah, they don't like those. Enter into the bizarre online world of a teenager and learn how you as a parent or future parent or a super active auntie can navigate the so-called life of a digital teen. A digital teen. A digital teen. A digital teen. So today we're here with Daniel Patterson, who has experience um, as a teen parent, teen life coach, um, an author, a father, um, a speaker, and also a former vice principal. So Daniel, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. That's awesome. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about you know what you do and you know your background. Sure. What I do now is about a million different things. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so it's hard to put it in a box, but um, on a day-to-day basis, I do work as a coach. Okay. I call it an educational-centered coach because it, it really starts with school, but then it's like the spokes of a bike. It goes out to a def- bunch of different touch points, depending on the student and the family. Mm-hmm. So uh, typically, something with education is either not running at full capacity or it's hit a snag, the wheels have fallen off the wagon altogether. And so my job is to help those students, typically teenagers, self-identify mm-hmm. what they want to do for themselves mm-hmm. um, and take sort of charge of their own vision. How do you help teens manage their real life versus their online life relationship? We think, it okay, this is the real world and this is the digital world. Mm-hmm. To them, it's all one world, right, right? with different layers. Mm-hmm. And so helping them unpack and, and look for signals, okay, that's not real. Right. You know, that's not actually their Ferrari, right? <laughs> yeah. That's a great, they're at someone's valet, that's right? Lease. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a lease or, <laughs> you know, they're just rolling up at Lido Marina Village yeah. under the valet to take a pic, post exactly. it up, tag someone. So they, you know, helping them, like, bob and weave through all that mystery of what's real and what's not real is really important. While teenagers, they have such a hard time identifying who they are and having that self-knowledge and that self-awareness, if you go on their Instagram, you go on their social media, they have packaged a pretty little picture for themselves, right? right? And they all have these like really great images or they've worked so hard to curate these images for themselves. And it's not really them, right? And a lot of times because it's curation. Mm-hmm. So there's like an authenticity issue there, which I imagine is really hard to deal with as a teenager because you're going through so many emotions as it is. So teenagers are curating their own digital resume mm-hmm. and, and they operate in what I call social currency. Mm-hmm. So those likes and those followers and those reposts and those comments are all the cashed in for social prowess. Yeah. And, um, and they leverage them. They leverage them for gain and, and it's a cost-benefit analysis uh, to, be, to be follow this template of an influencer. You take a, like a socialite influencer, maybe a reality TV star, and you do. You really, they study those and they come up with an algorithm that works. And, and they're quick to admit if I don't hit a certain amount of likes yeah. or comments, my post is coming down. Right. I've heard um, that many times. Right. And I've probably done that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, so I get it, um, yeah. but they're, they're kind of caught, right? Because yeah. they, they want to pre- present outward perfection. 
Um, but what they don't embrace there is the sense of human vulnerability because it's a dog-eat-dog world, and if they, they look weak or they present vulnerable, they can get really, really hurt and hurt. deeply and often and low-key and anonymously and right. 24 hours a day. So I think sometimes the best defense is a good offense, yeah. and, and so I appreciate why they do it. I don't think it's healthy necessarily. I'm not a clinician or therapist, so I'm not going to comment on that, but from a practical standpoint, I think it can cause... Um, the illusion that everyone's doing really well and mm-hmm. and towing the line and when they're deeply unhappy or uh, dissatisfied with their their reality. Tell us a little bit about kind of your your practice. We focus a lot on the school setting because I was in the mm-hmm. school setting, you know, for for 14 years wow. and leaving in 2016. Mm-hmm. So I was with teenagers every day from basically the inception of social media as we know it today, mm-hmm. right? And you could watch it change generationally. Yeah. We think generations in these big gaps, right? But in the digital world, I think those generations are every probably 18 months. Right, they exponential evolve and growth. They morph. Yeah, so it was my experience that the kids that are now maybe 20, uh-huh. okay, they have a very different relationship with social media than the kids that are 19 and younger. And I, and I think there's a split there, whereas the kids that are a little bit older in college right now can still see between both sides. They can disconnect. Yeah. Um, but the younger ones have a, a much harder time um, seeing anything else through a lens that's not social media and digital communication. Yeah. But in the school setting, I think what was remarkable is just the sort of Jekyll and Hyde, where you have um, the same person but their online presence would be so different and typically not in a good way from their their human persona, their face-to-face mm-hmm. persona. So they might be performing really well in school, varsity athlete, getting awards, et cetera, yeah. but then posting really negative content, cyberbullying, low-key messages, having a Finsta or fake Instagram mm-hmm. um, or multiple profiles, you know, one for my parents to see, but one for me to be mischievous. So I think... It just evolves into to an opportunity for them to either use it as a resume and, right. and use it for social gain, or they could use it in really ugly ways, and sometimes they do. And you have to help them walk that back and understand that was a bad decision. And it's never really a reflection, I believe, of who they actually are. Uh-huh. But I think it's just you getting caught up in the social turbine, yeah, wanting and- to keep up. And that 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 point that you brought up again about you know the two different like personas and the two different lives and the authenticity like we had um, someone on our show um, a therapist who talked about that being one of the biggest issues that causes some depression mm-hmm. is when you have an online life that's so different than your real life and you're like caught up between a battle with your authenticity right. and that's one of the things that brings someone down the most. Right, I can see that. Yeah. So what are some of the, um, the main issues that you've encountered with teens and social media as you're trying to kind of guide someone's life? You know, what are your steps there? We focus a lot on um, social media, but really I think where it starts is the concept what you have, let's say 10, 11, 12 year olds, and maybe they don't have social media, mm-hmm. right? Because their parents aren't allowing them to do it, but they all have a cell phone. Mm-hmm. So I think the front line, the first place it starts is in the, in the group chat, mm-hmm. right? And... And really, the group chat is the modern-day lunch table. So? So that's against the rules, and you can't sit with us. Whatever. You can't sit with us! 
So students believe, kids believe, um, it's been my experience talking to them that they could, I could be sitting with you. We could have lunch. We could be on the same basketball team. We could hang out. Our parents can have us together for dinner, but we are not really friends unless we are in a group chat together. Okay. And it's like an onion. So you'll have a a very large group chat. Let's Uh say, call it your, your big lunch table. So that's the outer ring. Maybe there's 25 kids in it Uh and you got uh, 12 boys, 13 girls, they all hang out together. And then within that, you have a smaller layer of connection and a smaller layer and a smaller layer. And those define the proximity to true friendship for these kids. So that alone is mind boggling to me. Um, Whereas I get in a group chat and I'm looking for the exit. I'm like, get me out of here. I, uh-huh. I, my phone is going berserk. I don't care who won the Super Bowl. I don't know what dip I'm bringing. Okay, <laughs> just could someone send me, send me an email. I'm like yeah. 100 years old. Have you ever come across a situation where um, a parent feels like they're very connected to their child and then learns something that they would have never thought or expected? Always, yeah. How does that happen? <laughs> I think it goes back to the split personality on social media. I just think the parent, and I get it because you would never, you just don't want to believe that your kid is anything other than who you think they are. Yeah. And that's how we get into the mm-hmm. over parenting and over pressuring our kids. Like, no, they want to study this. And the kid's like rolling their eyes in the, in the corner. No, I don't. Yeah. Um, but the, the parent, usually that occurs with cyberbullying, with a bully. So usually the parent doesn't know their child's being bullied or their child is the bully. They don't know that their child is the bully. Yikes. It's devastating. Uh, hold up, bud. But how do we stop bullies? A piece in The Atlantic highlights experts that are looking for solutions to this age-old problem that's now super amplified by social media. In the early days of the internet, the main dangers for our kids and teens came from older predators and weirdos on the web. Today, that has shifted to their peers with cyberbullying. As parents, we need to demand more from these social networking sites by holding them accountable for reinforcing their own rules. It shouldn't have to take thousands of reports to Twitter or Facebook to get an account suspended or have something taken down. I mean, how many times have we heard of instances where cyberbullying has led to serious physical harm? Just as we need to be better parents, they need to be better as institutions. And as we've seen, insanely smart people are developing the tools for them since they don't seem to want to do it themselves. After all, we are the consumers and we, along with our kids, have the power. From your experience, are parents talking to their children enough about not being the bully or about standing up to the bully? Uh, That's a great question. You know, when you confront a parent whose child is a bully, it's, it's a very delicate matter. Right, because nobody wants to admit that their own child has become, or not become morally corrupt, but maybe is doing behaviors that is more morally corrupt. Because that's worse than, you know, if they lose something or they get a bad grade, because it talks about their kind of their soul or who they are as a person and mm-hmm. the home they come from. So it's very delicate to talk to them about that. But I mean, not to sound too cliche, but in my experience, most bullies that I've ever known working in high school and middle school. We're deeply unhappy. Right. And it's just a manifestation of other, you know, exerting control where they feel powerless. Mm-hmm. So trying to help the parent, it's important to call the parent out or call the child out and, and know that this isn't correct behavior, but mm-hmm. it can quickly turn into a justify game. Right. Everyone's trying to justify yeah. chicken egg kind of, 
kind of scenario. And, and really, that's a, a waste of energy and a losing approach. Right. So when I when I do work with that, I try to focus on how do we make this right? How do you move forward from this? How do you apologize and own it? You got to mm-hmm. own it. Yeah, just make that. I, I was wrong then, and right. tomorrow I want to be better. Right, and but the problem is, is when you're wrong on social media. Yeah. You can delete a post, but it's already been grabbed with a screenshot, and it and it lingers forever. So it's it's hard to get away from yourself, good, bad, or indifferent. Can we put all the blame on a parent if their kid has gone sideways and a social on social media is bullying somebody? Of course not. But you know we can provide parents with a framework, or and the parents can provide their kids with a framework that decreases the likelihood of those behaviors happening. Yeah. By setting good habits early. Mm-hmm. And knowing that little fear of being caught, you know, yeah, well, you know, will keep them from maybe making a, a crucial mistake. That's so true. You know, they're they're still children. They still have to have a little bit of fear of getting right. caught. Gotta have it. You know, and some of them they don't because the parents have no idea what's going on on their phone, and no. they know that their parents don't even know how to use it properly. <laughs> right, and yeah, it, yeah, chosen ignorance though. That's a that's an excuse that I'm not buying really? from parents. No way. But it's so hard. It's a learning curve there. Right. But just uh, there's Google, right? There's Google. You can Google how to do it. You can hire someone to help you. You can go to your, hire your nephew or someone. You know, I mean, there's yeah. there's too many solutions to to embrace. I guess I, I, I understand situational ignorance, like something's new and you don't quite get it. Yeah. But, but I don't accept chosen ignorance which is just i'm just going to maintain not knowing anything about this yeah um then then the parents then have equal blame in whatever happens in my opinion because you, you got to know that's true you have to it's part and of being a parent it's what you signed up for yeah. i know but now there's just so many more things that we have to know than we've ever had to know before <laughs> well if we can just get everyone's aunt on snapchat it'll go away like facebook <laughs> right. you know once everyone's aunt hit yeah. up oh my god my aunt brenda's on facebook i'm out exactly. <laughs> so i think no, but we'll never get into those group chats though <laughs> no we won't unless you you gotta gotta come up with some sort of ghost profile you know how do you um, advise parents? How are we going to pick up on these things? I mean, there's these little nuances that right. live inside their phone that we don't know about. You know, like how are ways that like you can pick up on whether or not your child is healthy using the internet and social media? Well, I mean, I don't necessarily recommend being a creep and getting spyware. There's always third-party software that you sh- you can get, even for Snapchat now. It used to be Snapchat was outpacing a lot of that technology, so yeah. it wouldn't work. Yeah. Um, but now it exists, right? So if if you, I would say, if there's a significant event and you were going to reissue social media, you could put some mm-hmm. safeguards in there just so that as a parent you could monitor right. either that if they were being harassed or they were you know, sexting or something inappropriate, you could keep a tab on it. But the larger dilemma is first, I think as adults, we need to, we have to acknowledge that this is their reality. Mm -hmm. It's not our world and their world. Like that is their world and it's how they exist. And the thing is, is that, you know, we have to understand, I, I mean, at least I think that the validation from social media is its own thing. It doesn't matter if you're getting tons of validation from home. 
right? Sometimes I feel like it doesn't matter. Like that's a whole nother world right. of validation a, that they need. Like you for know. sure, it's its own separate. Like I said, it's it's its own separate economy. Yeah, it's like in the same way I don't understand anything about Bitcoin. Uh-huh. I think most parents don't understand anything about the economics of social media mm-hmm. in terms of its value. That's and you're right. And you could you can give them a ribbon, and you could give them like, oh, let's paint your room, and you did such a great job, and this and that. Mm-hmm. That's not the same endorphins like the same receptors aren't being peaked as they are when somebody retweets Mm -hmm. i mean even like when i get likes or posts or comments or retweets i mean it it can be a huge like oh my gosh like this is amazing a natural high right yeah totally i mean so we have to like recognize that i think like you said that this is a different new currency Mm -hmm. and um it's not gonna be paralleled right you know so you just have to manage that currency and those emotions and just you know make sure that you tell yourself if that you are worth more in the right. aggregate than that's what right. You get there. And that this it, is a this is a marathon, not a sprint. What are some of the things that you've seen parents do in terms of trying to get in touch with their children's usage of the internet or social media, and like they're they're making these missteps and they're not even realizing it? What are like some of the common ones that you've seen? Well, I think the common the common mistake is let's just let them have at it mm-hmm. and wait until things go bad and then we'll deal with it right (laughs) oh i trust him i trust him right yeah but i appreciate that but let's think about it when when you're 15 and you get your permit Uh to drive a car because think about a car powerful vehicle can take you everywhere get you in a lot of trouble you can connect with people that you shouldn't or you should you can it can be a vehicle for a lot of positive and a lot of negative it's a whole lot of freedom a whole lot of freedom and a smartphone is the same thing. Yeah. The only difference is is that we absolutely don't regulate how, when, or why we give our kids those devices. We just hand, here you go. Here's your smartphone. Go nuts, right? And then they circle back around only when something is has gone wrong. Yeah. So I think, like I said before, you can't you can't put the toothpaste back into the tube. So it's important to sort of layer on uh, what they get technologically with a phone maybe it's a smartphone with more safeguards or maybe you do have like an m spy m spy is the software that can tell you everything about anything your child's doing on their mm-hmm. phone anything at all even even snapchat now so maybe you put that on the phone you say you know well eventually we're going to graduate out of this I want to bring back to two things that that were brought up so the first would be you know saying that you trust your child um, so, you know, I trust my child. I, I've, I've seen it where parents, um, you know, are like, they're, like, they'll be like, oh, can I use your phone to Google something? And like the child will give them their phone and then the screen will lock out or time out and they'll be like, oh, can you put your password back in? Right. And I'm, and I'm like, you don't know your child's password? And it's like, no, because I trust him. You know, and I want to respect him as an individual and let him have his privacy in this space. Right. And for a minute, I'm like, oh, that's kind of an admirable notion. But at the same time, it's like, um, but the frontal lobe hasn't finished developing right. yet. And <laughs> are we sure that you want to give him that much like permission? Yeah, I mean, I appreciate the gesture of wanting to trust your child and trusting your child. But I think trusting your child has to go hand in hand with still, like you said, respecting the fact that they don't have fully developed impulse control or maturity or they're easily influenced by peers. Yeah. You know, if you get into a group setting, the group think kicks in and uh, risky behaviors elevate significantly. Yeah. So I would always encourage parents, if they're paying for that phone, 
and that Apple ID's on there, they need to know that passcode. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they and they don't have to check it all the time and be and be aggressive, but I think it should be sort of open and known that at any time I could look on this device because what that does is that prevents bad behaviors and the prevention of bad behaviors over time mm-hmm. creates positive usage habits. I love that. And when you create the positive habits and then you st- step away from those oversights, those habits are formed. I love that. So it's, that's, that's really my cool. approach. What do you feel about random drop-ins where you're just like, yo, phone, yeah. random drop-in? I think that's good early, okay. right? Because again, we're helping them build positive use habits. Nice. And those will those are going to outlast you, yeah. right? And those are the things that we can send with them into the rest of their life. Right. And that goes back to that moral compass. Mm-hmm. So if you're not, nothing on here should be something right, you nothing don't want on should, to Yeah, see nothing on here see. should be something that is now, and we can go, I think the, the, the mistake is, I don't want to see any naked pictures. I don't want to <laughs> see any swear words. I don't right. want to see any whatever. Those are, they can bend those rules. Mm-hmm. But if we switch that conversation into a moral framework, I don't want to see anything hurtful. I don't want to think, see anything too boastful. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see anything that would embarrass our family. Yeah. Um, those are harder to put in a box, mm-hmm. and they're harder for the kids to get out. But How do these things, well, I guess over time a parent would notice like behavioral changes in their child, that these things would come to service. Surface, every single you know, time, even every single time it's a parent. Mm-hmm of somebody involved okay. that did some due diligence and looked. Very rarely are you like, oh, what's wrong? Well, you know, yeah. I'm being bullied online, yeah. right? The kids, it's so embarrassing. They don't, wanna, they don't wanna say it. They don't wanna admit it. So every single time, almost, I can't think of a time when it was yeah. a kid that, every single time it's a parent who, you know, has access to their child's phone mm-hmm. and either sees that their child has done something or yeah. something's happening or not even them, just they're on their Instagram or they're on Snapchat and they're just poking around, right, looking. And and then that that per- parent tells another parent, and, you know, and it just mm-hmm. goes from there. Yeah. So, but I think that's, that's evidence that parents need to be engaged in what their kids are doing because it's put out a lot of bad fires, you know, and yeah. it's, and it stopped things before they got critically bad. And it's, you know, been able to help like rehabilitate some relationships that had gone askew, mm-hmm. I think. Tell us about the book that you're working on right now. I have a book coming out in June called The Assertive Parent. And it's The Assertive Parent, it's uh, hacks, traps, and tips for managing today's teens. And whenever I tell people I wrote a book about parenting teenagers, they're like, Oh, well, you know, how many teenagers do you have, right? Zero. I have zero teenagers, (laughs) but I've worked with thousands of teenagers every day Mm -hmm. for the last 15 years. So the book is sort of a how-to, judgment-free, almost like a baby 411 book, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, With a heavy index and if this happens, try this, or talk about it this, or signs, signals. So it's divided into four big sections, and each of those is unpacked. And so there's school and academics, social media, technology, um, drugs, alcohol, nicotine, and then family communication and family systems. Well, I think that the topics you're covering are much needed. I think that parents are frightened because they don't really know 
And the more that we know, the less frightened we are. Right. Information is power. Well, that's great. Thank you so much Absolutely. for coming on the show. It was show. great. I was I had a lot of fun. and uh... <laughs> Yeah, us too. I learned a ton. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast so you find out whenever we drop new episodes. Take care. Peace.